Do you feel like something's coming to an end? No? Sure? Nothing's coming to an end? Something's coming to an end and something else is going to begin? No? Oh, jati. <laughs> so what's going to begin? A life without it. Sadhu, sadhu. This audience is too profound for me. <laughs> I'm talking about mundane matters. <laughs> I'll, get, I'll get off. <laughs> and you're talking about the supramundane. You know what I'm referring to? Because throughout the world, lots of plans are being made right now, just as we speak. A lot of plans being made, a lot of things are being organized. Fireworks. Hmm? In every major town and city around the world, firework displays are being set up right now. Well, actually they have been set up over the last several weeks, months. <clears throat> they are making their final tweaks. Making, checking everything is ready, pre-flight checks and all that. Then in homes across the land, people are making plans to get together. So, food is being bought in bags and in bottles. Fridges are filled up and people are going shopping to buy the finest costumes at a discount price these days. What not Boxing Day sales and you know. So something big is about to happen apparently. Something big. Apparently it happens once a year. My question is, what is a year? But rewind your lives a few years, these things that we call years now. Rewind your lives and go back to a time, those donkey's years, remember? How you used to look forward to that special day. Because that was everybody's birthday, wasn't it? Everyone has a day in the year that they can call their birthday, but then everyone in this world, they all have a universal birthday. A day that they can all celebrate something new. Bid farewell and goodbye to the old and say hello and embrace and welcome the new. As we embark on to what? The New Year. So now you'll be asking me this question. Swami answer. you tease us to come and get together on the 31st night at the monastery. Huh? And then Guru Hamdra says in the sermons, you know, how we should all get together on the 31st and then do this karmasthana chanting and all these things. And then you come on up on stage and you start delivering a sermon to us and then you say, this year thing is a nonsense. 
What's this all about? You must be baffled right now. <laughs> Do we or don't we? To celebrate or not to celebrate? That is the question. It is, is it the dawn of a new year or is it just another day? That is the question. Is it a question? Have you begun to question sanity? <laughs> are you beginning to feel that you are insane? How do you begin to feel about yourselves compared to your former selves? See, that is what we come here for every day. To question what we have always held true. To question our very existence. To question everything. There is no stone that we leave unturned. Nothing is too sacred, is it? Someone comes and asks, why do we worship the stone statues? We don't say, shh, how dare you? Nothing is too sacred. Everything and anything can be questioned. That's not to say that we have all the answers to everything, but there are no forbidden questions. Are there? If it is the truth, why can it not be questioned? I ask you. Hmm? If something's the truth, why can it not be questioned? In the Buddha's own words, the more you question, the more you reveal, the more you realize that it is the truth after all. So under this sun, under this sky, and certainly under this roof, anything and everything can be questioned. That is again not to say that we have all of the answers, that we have most of the answers, as long as you can be content with that. But there is nothing that is too sacred and therefore cannot be questioned. Because, in fact, ladies and gentlemen, we are here to question the one thing that we thought was true all our lives, the one thing that no one dared question, the one thing that everything else was compared against, was measured against. This was the yardstick that we used to measure everything else, and that was yourself. Every other thing had a value, had a price in your mind. Every other thing was determined its own price and value depending on what, how you felt about yourself. Because in this world, everything you believe is either valuable or not valuable. Everything you believe has a price. Everything you believe has a value. And that value is certainly dependent on how you understand yourself. Yes. So that is what we are here to understand. Question the foundations of all things. The very foundation on top of which everything else is constructed. The whole world, existence, the universe, everything. But of course, we don't spend our whole time and all the time that we have left for ourselves studying every little atom and every element and every molecule and everything out there, 
Because once we figure out the fundamentals, once we understand how things are at home, at home by which I mean yourselves, you understand that everything else is the same. Everything else fits into shape. That is why it is said that to the Buddha, the entire universe, he could understand. As a mother would dip her finger into a dish that he or she is preparing, and by tasting that, can get a sense of the flavor that the entire dish has. In the same manner, once you understand who you are, ladies and gentlemen, you understand the whole universe. That is what we're here for. And we can only do this because we are privileged. It is our birthday every day, but two and a half thousand years ago, a great man was born. A great man who would go on to become our father. Father for all of us. There are two kinds of people in this world, those who realize that the Buddha is their father and those who don't yet. That's all. But he is the father to all. Once you accept that he is your father, you are reborn. You are. You are reborn in the Aryan clan. All you got to do is accept that. It is the truth after all. As Guru Hanros reminds us all the time, this ant is on its way to Nibbana. This ant is on its way to realize that the Buddha is his father. You can think of the Buddha as an individual, or you can think of the Buddha as enlightenment, the truth. After all, all of us are on a quest for the truth, and that is the Buddha. There was, of course, one man, one very special person, who, without any help and support from anybody else, realized this truth. And in doing so, he became the Buddha. His Buddhaness is his realization. That is why when you asked him, who is your teacher? He would often be found saying, the Dhamma is my teacher, because it is the Dhamma that gave me a new life. And it is to that holy name it is to that realization, it is to that truth, enlightenment, freedom, all things good in this world, that we make this veneration. And as we do so, let us remind ourselves how honored, how privileged we are to consider him our father, to have come to the realization that he is the truth, he represents the truth, he embodies the truth. And that is the truth that we are all here for. Every sentient being in this world is after exactly what you've got for yourselves right now, ladies and gentlemen. Just take a moment to think about that as you bring your hands together in veneration of the Holy One, the perfectly enlightened one, the supremely and fully awakened one. Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato samma sambuddhassa Namo tassa bhagavato arahato 
I'm reminded of a Dhammapada stanza. On one occasion, the Buddha says, let me see if I can remember it properly. Apunya labocha gaticha papika. He talks about how worldly individuals refrain themselves from misdeeds. At the end of this, you should laugh to yourselves, your old selves. Because then, once you begin to contemplate on the realization that you have to come, you have come to right now, you will begin to wonder why is it that individuals or great beings like the Buddha had to preach such a primitive Dhammapada stanza to a group or an audience who was of that mindset. Apunya labo jagati japapika. Bhita sabitaya rati tokika. Raja cha dandang garukang paneti. Tasma narang paradarang naseve. You know what paradarang is, right? See, the Buddha says, there's a reason why men don't commit adultery. You know why? He says there's a reason why men don't commit adultery. Because it accumulates for them demerit. And then once they're dead, it puts them into eternal suffering. Bhitasa is the is the man, Bhitaya is the woman. They are full of fear. They dread it. What do they dread? The pleasure that they enjoy during such an encounter is so little. It's so little because Rajata Jandan Garukam Paneti, the punishment that you get or that you would get if you were found engaging in adultery is not minor. It is great. And therefore, man does not commit adultery. In other words, he doesn't seek sensual comforts from a woman that is not his. I asked our monks, our anagarikas and our anagarikas, is that why you don't commit adultery? Raja Chadandangaru Kampaniti. Oh, is it because today your realization is so profound, you have begun to understand, you have begun to understand 
that there are no such things called men and women. It is not for fear of punishment or reprimand. It is not, I believe, because you fear the repercussions of your actions. I honestly don't feel that today the reason I refrain myself from unmeritorious deeds is because I fear the consequences of those unmeritorious deeds. I mean, I feel that is funny. One doesn't steal because he worries that one day someone might steal from him. Huh? I used to understand that, but nowadays I'm like, why would you steal? Even if someone wouldn't come and take it back from you anyway. Why would you? When nothing in this world can be considered yours or somebody else's, how can the concept of theft encroach your mind? If you have begun to understand, understand the truth. So if today you feel that the Buddha, if the Buddha were here, he would preach to you this stanza. Look down in embarrassment. In that stanza he speaks of adultery. Meaning having encounters, having engagements, having affairs outside your marriage. So how about you at the back? Just in the marriage? Just not outside? Travakas, Travikas, Uvasis, I don't know about you. But I ask our monks and Anagarikas and Anagarikas. You refrain from it because it's bad outside your marriage? Or have you come to a realization? And I think you all are getting there, if you haven't already. It's not fair to say that, you know, Australia, Australia, or OSEs, or any of you in the audience for that matter, are behind us. That's, that's not right to say that, and I can't accept for a moment that that can be true. Because you can't look at someone and say to what degree they have understood the Dhamma, right? Agreed, everyone? Yes. It is not something they, it's not a banner they wear on their foreheads, is it? I am an Anagami. I am a Sakrudagami. <laughs> How can you tell that by looking at someone? Your realization is only yours to know. The degree to which you feel that this Dhammastapada stanza applies to you is the degree to which you are still further from Nibbana. Because if you refrain from unmeritorious deeds today, the ten unwholesome deeds today, ladies and gentlemen, because of fear of consequences, Fear of reprimand, fear of punishment. Then look at him and say, I am sorry, Venerable Sir. I have not yet grasped the profoundness of your teaching. After that, if he has forgiven you, then you can look at me and then say, I'm sorry, Swami Nuhansa. I have not yet made use of your hard work and the hard work of the Mahasangha. And if I have forgiven you, then you can go to Guru Hamburu and tell him the same. Where are men and where are women? Then what talk is there about adultery? Hmm? So once it's consensual, it's okay then, is it? 
I don't know whether I'm speaking an appropriate topic to an audience like this. There are devotees in here, I understand. But then, you know, where are the devotees? I don't know. You're all clad in white. You all have this sartake and you have the patkare. And then I often go and tell them, Guru Handra, Guru Handra, give me some devotees so I can preach to them. <laughs> so he says, go and do that at Rajagiri. <laughs> Yeah, these are very familiar faces. I see them every day. So every day you get a douse of the Dhamma. And if I know what the Dhamma has done for me, you can't be any different because you are not someone special. You are a chitta after all, just as here itself is also a chitta. So what the Dhamma does to the chitta, the Dhamma does to every chitta, doesn't it? If you have merits in your merit account, and then there's the Dhamma that is available to you, because the same teaching that he gives to you, he gives to us. The same teaching he gives to us, he gives to you. There's no difference there. The Buddha's teachings are available to all men, women and children in this world. If they wish to scrutinize, they can do so. Even the Vinaya, it's printed. Anyone who wishes to explore and study that can do so. Because the truth is always available, freely. If there's anything in this world that is free, it is only the truth. Everything else you have to pay for. Everything else you have to pay for. The truth is always free. That must be why it is not so alluring. That must be why it is not so, not so in, in so much demand, in, in such demand. Because when something's free, there's no appeal, is there? A mother's love, free, not so, not in high demand. That is why after a while you go after some, after some kind, other kind of love and leave mother's love behind. Because that was free, but the other love you have to pay for. <laughs> Try passing a Valentine's Day without getting them a birthday card, a card or a box of chocolates and see what happens. And then tell me it's free. <laughs> oh, it's not. So now ask yourselves, ladies and gentlemen, because I know you have come some way in your life, right? the past year, if it has done something for you, then something has happened within you. Some transformation must have happened within yourselves. Today you refrain from the unwholesome deeds. Is that because of fear of punishment? Is that because you're, you worry and you're scared of going into the four great hells? Is that why you refrain from the un unmeritorious deeds? I feel an audience like this, it is an insult. I don't know, this is my personal opinion. If you disagree with me, then I apologize profusely. If you feel that you still refrain yourself from the unmeritorious deeds because you're scared of what the consequences might be, you don't kill because you are you're afraid that someone might kill you. You don't steal because you're afraid that someone might steal from you. You don't lie because you're afraid that someone might cheat on you. If that is the reason, still have some way to go. Let's go back to Siumaga. You're in the wrong class. It starts at 2 p.m. next door. <laughs> so 
So why do you not commit adultery today? Is it because there's only very little sensual lust or very little sensual pleasure there? Sometimes, you know, I ask people when they come and tell me, Swaminas, I want to become a monk. Oh, 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 whoa, whoa, hold on, hold on. Because that's the first thing they can, they can think of when they see a monk. It's like, you know, when someone sees an engineer, what do they want to be? They want to be an engineer. Right? I've seen people and they go on like uh, internships, right, and go and spend some time with, oh, maybe someone come to this, comes to the school. Right? I remember during my school days, scientists used to come and they'd give talks. Engineers would come and they'd give talks. Doctors would come and specialists in various fields of life would come and give talks. And at the end of that, children would rush up to them and say, I also want to be a doctor. <laughs> of course, you do, because that's the you've just listened to a, a talk. And in that talk, they've just explained to you what a wonderful profession it is to be. That's what, you know, if, if an actor were to come and come on stage and give a talk, then everybody wants to be an actor. Which is proof that you are not a being, you're only a single chitta. In that moment, whatever drushti, whatever views you have taken on board, that is you. That is why your minds can change so, so quickly. That is, your mind, that is why a mind is so flippant. Tandanan chapalan chittam. It's always so... You know, it's just waving around here and there, whatever, wherever, which way the wind blows, that way you have turned. That's the way the chitta is. So I ask you, the reason that you don't engage in unmeritorious deeds today, is that because of fear of consequence? Or is that because you have begun to understand that when there is nothing in this world that belongs to me or anyone else, how can there be a concept of theft? The concept, the very concept of theft must begin to make no sense to you now. I ask yourselves to see whether you are there yet. If not, let's get there. That is where I want you to be. As someone who is helping you on your path to Nibbana, I want you all to be there. A stage where the concept of killing, the concept of taking another life, seems meaningless to you. Killing means, means like, it doesn't compute. Killing? Where are the beings to kill? See, if you don't feel that this thing belongs to you, or belongs to somebody else, how can you thieve? How can you take something that doesn't belong to anybody? I don't mean physically take it. I mean, because intention is karma, right? It's not the action. Action is not karma, Buddha. Intention is karma. So how can the intention of theft ever creep into your mind if you don't believe that things belong to anybody? Like when you're walking along the road, right? You see a seashell, or say on the beach. You see a seashell, you pick it up and you put it in your pocket. Does the concept of theft ever come into your mind? Does it? We've all done that, haven't we? When you were younger, playing on the beach, right? You pick up a seashell, conch shells, whatever you put in your pocket. Pebbles. Have you ever felt that you were thieving? Why not? Who did it belong to? Exactly. It belonged to nobody. You didn't feel that it belonged to anybody. And therefore, 
You can't think of, I mean, you can't compute theft. Theft has no, has no foundations there. But then when you go, into, go to your friend's place, you went to your friend's place and you saw something and you thought, I like that, I like this, I like what not. Or maybe you opened your mother's wardrobe, your father's drawer, and you saw something in there, like I once did. Remember that story? Well, let's not talk about that. And I wanted that Walkman. Yes. And then your arm moves forward and you pick it up. All the while you know that you are taking something that belongs to somebody else. See, in this world, ladies and gentlemen, nothing belongs to anybody. Everything belongs to nature, including yourselves. Including yourselves. If the left arm touches the right arm, is it touching somebody else? Are we touching someone else? If the right arm touches the left arm, are we touching somebody else? No, right? Why is that? Because they both belong to the same individual, ah, in the same way. Once you understand that you belong to whatever this belongs to, that belongs to, this belongs to, this belongs to, when you begin to realize that you belong to whatever this belongs to, then we are all one. We all belong to the same source, and that source is nature. Those, people, those of another faith say, this is what God is. We all belong to God. I agree. Only we don't believe that there is an individual. We believe that is an energy, that is nature. We all belong to nature. Because we are all children of nature. We are all products of nature. This is just nature's handiwork. Look at yourselves. Nature's handiwork. This is just matter and energy. And one, uh, one, you know, one con configuration of that. Nature's handiwork. Throw a bunch of matter. Throw some energy at it. And voila. There you are. Take some more matter. Put some energy. Throw some energy at it. And there you are. So go stand in front of the mirror tomorrow. Or this evening. And look at nature's handiwork. Are you impressed? Oh, yes. Very. <laughs> but if something's wrong, if you think, I am pretty. If you think you are pretty. If you think you've got good looks. If you think that this figure belongs to you. If you think that this is beautiful and this beautifulness or this beauty belongs to me. It is I who is beautiful. Then something's wrong. Because what belongs to nature, you have laid claims on. Pick a fight on someone your own size. Otherwise you're going to regret. Every regret you've had so far, ladies and gentlemen, is because you haven't picked on someone your own size. Nature is much bigger than you. Because it even encompasses you. You are a child of nature. So whenever you pick a fight with nature, who's going to win? Yeah, nature's just going to have a laugh. It's like when you know, we were children, and we used to go to the kitchen and take things like plates and cups and saucers and whatnot, because we wanted to go and do a play kitchen. Yeah, I remember doing that when I was younger. I used to have a play kitchen, me and my brother. We used to have a play kitchen, 
and then i'd get amma to cook whatever sandwiches and make some tea and get her to put it into a flask and then i'd take it to my play kitchen and then i'd say come and buy <laughs> she'd bought the stuff she made the stuff she put it into the bottle for me and then i bring it to my play kitchen and say you can now come and buy them i even used to give a receipt see what a good tradesman i was <laughs> i had to go and ask her can i have a receipt book please oh and by the way can i have some change please so i can give people change when they come and buy things and what do you think amma did she laughed but she played along she played along and she had a, she had a, she had a good laugh because she knows it's just just a child right just a child so what does nature do just a child <laughs> just a child you got to accept that and the more you keep yourself in the dhamma ladies and gentlemen this becomes true for you i tell you you know i am not just coming up here and relating to you something i've learned by rote i've not learned this off by heart and i've come up here and start preaching this to you i'm sharing with you something i understand honestly and that is not something special about me let me tell you a little story one of these days i got to hear from one of our anagarika mahatmyas before she became an anagarika she was a mother what now she's not oh yeah she is of course biologically she's still a mother to one child but mentally she is not a mother to one child she considers the whole world to be her children so she comes and she she is giving a talk and she says recently her son who is a kid at the noble hearts had come up to her because she had asked for a meeting with the with the child just to see if she if he's all right and we encourage all mothers to do that and fathers and whatever because they 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 help in the monastery to make sure that you know the children are still fine and you know we encourage that there's nothing wrong with that so anyhow what had happened was this young putta at this meeting with his mother he's asked the question ammi what do you feel about me this is a kid from noble hearts i think they are pandita hearts <laughs> what do you what do you think about me so the mother said well i know that you are my child but of course you are only my biological child but there's nothing more than that and he asks again in, in return are you sure there is nothing more than that <laughs> I, i mean can you believe this stuff huh the, the boy is probably what 10 11 something like that so he's asking her his mother Was this a conversation you had when you were a kid with your mother? Who am I to you? And who are you to me? Who am I? <laughs> I mean, look at what noble association has done to these young minds. Not young minds, that is wrong. To these minds, exactly. Look at what noble association has done. Noble association is nothing more than the Dhamma. That's it. 
If you keep rubbing the Dhamma against your chitta, ladies and gentlemen, one day it's going to become one with the Dhamma. Whatever the Dhamma is, you become that. If the Dhamma is just Rupa, Vedana, Sanya, Sankara and Vinyana, you become that. That's it. So this little boy is asking his mother, what is the connection that you feel about with me? So the mother says again, uh, you know, it's only biological. I feel I'm your biological mother. That's it. Nothing more. Nothing more. Nothing more. So he's, 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 he's creating a trap for her <laughs> before he asks the next question. So then he asks, that's why I call them Pandita hearts. <laughs> then he asks, so Amma, if I'm just your biological son and nothing more than that, why do you only ask for an audience with me? Why can't you go and do the same with the other children? You know, one day you come and see me, fine. The next day you can go and see my, my brother. By brother, of course, he means everybody else. Why don't you go and sit down with one of the other children and ask them the same questions you ask me. How are you, Puta? How are you doing? Is everything all right? Are you studying well? How's, how's your work going on? Are you practicing the path? You know, these, every, all these questions that you ask me, why don't you go and ask from every other child as well? So this Anagarika Mahatmya says, I was gobsmacked. <laughs> Remember the other day I told you, it's wrong for parents to think that they're giving up their children to the sasana. Whenever a parent feels that way, they, these, these are alobachittas, not viragachittas. These are all alobachittas. I'm giving something I have to the sasana. The, the attachment is still there. The bond is still there. You've just extended the rope. That's it. There was a rope that you had wound around whatever the object was, whether that was a, your child or a material object, and you had kept it so close to you. But now what you've done is, you just extended the rope. You've given it some slack. We are still holding on to one half, one half of it, one end of it rather. So she said, I was gobsmacked when I heard my child say that. And then she said, Swaminas, I realized, this is exactly what I wanted. I realized that I, this child no longer needs a mother. In fact, I can no longer be a mother to this child because he seeks no mother. He doesn't feel that he is my son. Can you see what, what a profound and exquisite gift this Anagarika Mahatmi has actually given to her son? Whereby now he can consider every mother his mother and where he can consider him to be just another child. And therefore, if that Anagarika Mahatmya shares, his shares her love with another child, he doesn't feel jealous. How about that? How about that? Hmm? Look at what the Dhamma has done. So what is it you still can't leave behind? Again, I'm asking the wrong audience. 
because I know, personally I know, you've all come as far as you can come. You're only a Shravika today because you can't become an Anagarika. I understand that. I often, that's why I go and tell Guru Hamdra, Guru Hamdra, give me an audience I can preach to. <laughs> because they've all come as far as they can come. You know, I keep on preaching to them and they're not making any, <laughs> any, any, any way forward. But because that's because they've come the, as far as they can come. I know you're an Uesi today because that's the best you can do in the circumstances that you're in. That's why I said I'm no longer preaching to devotees. I'm preaching to Sravakas and Sravikas, Buddha Sravakas and Buddha Sravikas. But look at what, this chi- what has happened to this child. You know, this is a boy who when he first arrived here, looked for his mother, looked for his father. By that point his father was a, was a Swami Nansi. But he was looking for his father's attention. He was looking for his father's care. But you know, for a boy, the strongest connection that one has is with its mother, right? Typically. And then for this child to say, I don't consider you to be my mother, you're just another mother. So this Mahatma then tells me, so I'm answer though, that day I realized, I no longer need to have visitations with my boy, because he's no longer my boy. As long as he's alright and he doesn't need his mother, that's it. I realized I could give him up. See, on that day, Aloba transformed to Viraga. What a profound transformation. What a victory for the Buddha Sasana. Miracles do happen. Mothers do give up their children. <laughs> but truly give up. Not just giving up, but giving up. Not giving to giving up. These things happen in the Buddha's house and nowhere else are you going to hear such stories. Everywhere else you're going to hear stories about giving up your child, but still it's my child. Still it's my boy, it's my girl. Every offering that is given is generally given, holding it, you know, one, one end of it is still in your, in your, in your own hand. That's why usually after someone has given something, people have made an offering, they go and check what's, you know, the whereabouts of it. Has it been used? Has it been consumed? Is it still in the locker? Is it still in the cupboard? Why, why, why are they not using it yet? They haven't really given it up yet. I mean, you know, this, this is one of the strongest bonds that is known to man, right? Mother and child. If not the strongest bond... Stronger than friends, stronger than best friends, mother and child, you know, it's almost unbreakable. But then, this is what the Dhamma can do. See, I, you know, now, now, now think about this last year. It's done something for some people, hasn't it? Huh? What do you think? This last year. The Dhamma has done something for some people, hasn't it? What has it done for you, I ask you? Whatever it has done for you, this is what the Dhamma can do. Discover the power of the Dhamma. It is very powerful. It can break all bonds. It can sever all bonds. 
It can decimate all kinds of suffering. It can bring Raga, Dvesha and Moha, these monsters, to its knees. Whereby you can slain them with one swoosh of your arm. The sword of Dhamma is so powerful, so potent. I am who I am today because of the Dhamma, ladies and gentlemen, nothing more. I am eternally grateful to my teacher and all the teachers I have had because they have given me the Dhamma. They have given me the panacea to all suffering, all ailments, the treatment for that. Not just the mental ones, also the physical ones. Because fix the mind and you fix the body. Don't you agree? If you don't fix the mind and you just keep on fixing the body, these are all very temporary fixes. You've enjoyed your fair share of backaches, right? You've enjoyed your fair share of toothaches and headaches and knee aches and whatever aches, the whole body aches, right? You've all enjoyed your fair share of that. And then you've probably gone to the doctor to get treatment for that. But for how long? Time always beats you. See, if there are, if there are, if there are any among you, and I, I, I trust there is no one here, if there are any among you who did not make any progress in the Dhamma since the last turn of the last year, see, time beat you, didn't it? Time kept on moving forward. They say time and tide wait for no man. Time kept on moving forward. Tide is an opportunity. Time is lost opportunity. That is what that is. Because to a good sailor, he waits for a tide. That's an opportunity to sail, to go yonder, to go places, to discover, to explore, to go after the riches and the wealth that he seeks. Tide is an opportunity. It waits for no man. When the opportunity comes, it comes. You either take it or you leave it. When the Buddha comes, he comes. You either take it or you leave it. I look around the room and I'm so impressed by how much you have embraced this opportunity. Well done to all of you. To whatever degree you are capable of doing, you have done so. Hats off to all of you. Well done. This morning I was reminded of Guru Andhra Sasara Ganudin and the Sasara Dumri, the Sansara train. I don't know where these things come from, I was just brushing my teeth and the train came. <laughs> And I was just thinking to myself, you know, that the train is now on the platform. Look at what people are doing. This train that they've been waiting for all these years, how many lifetimes, and look at what people are doing. The doors will shut in a brief moment. But look at what people are doing and once the doors are shut, that's it. You can't request, you can't appeal, you can't beg then. Once it's shut, it's shut. And then you have to wait for the next Buddha. And who knows when that's going to come. In almost every other sermon, we don't do that a lot here, but you will have heard it in other places, nothing wrong with that particularly, but... In almost every other sermon, you hear of the Maitri Buddha, right? In the Maitri Buddha Sasana. May these merits help you and guide you and support you to listen to the Dhamma, 
in a gathering, a congregation amongst others, amongst your noble friends in the in the front in front of the Maitri Buddha and realize the and realize the Dhamma, realize Nibbana. See, I have a little problem with this. Every time you hear the words Maitri Buddha, you feel the sense of assurance. Ah, okay, I'm all right because Maitri Buddha is coming. I just have a very, it's a little problem. I have a little, it's my pet peeve. So we don't talk, about, talk a lot about that here. We always keep telling you, if it's the Gautam Buddha, that's it, otherwise no chance. Unless you begin to accept that, your tendency is to keep procrastinating. It is very natural. Because the mind always looks for pleasure. It doesn't like to do things, it likes to relax. Take things at its own pace. You know how it is when you have, when you have to do something. If you have to get your hands dirty and get into some serious work, you know what your mind's always like? After a cup of tea. First, let's read the newspaper. Let me check my messages first. Oh, let me make that call, that call that you haven't made in the last 10 years, but now you feel like you have to make it before you start this work. Because this is a moment of vexation and any vent that the mind can, can get hold of, it will take it. So whenever you're in the presence of an audience, when, when the, when the Swami Nase preaches to you, even if they do, even if I do talk to you about the Maitri Buddha, don't you be the one who settles for that. You know, when, when the Swami Nase says the Maitri Buddha will come, in some time, you bring your hands together and you say sadhu sadhu for the beings who will be there then. <laughs> Not for yourself. Come on. If you're going to have to be there when the Maitri Buddha comes, what a traitor you are to the Gautama Buddha. Hmm? Sitting in a room that was built in, by, in his name, on grounds that have been segregated for his, on his, in, to his name, What a dishonor it might it would be. So of course, when you hear the words Maitri Buddha, by the power of these merits, may we all be blessed to one day be in the presence of the Maitri Buddha, listen to him preach, listen to his teaching. And as a, as, as a gathering, let us understand the Dhamma on that day and come to the realization of Nibbana. You can say Sadhu Sadhu, not on your behalf. Don't you ever catch me. Or don't let me catch you doing that. You can say sadhu sadhu, not on your behalf. For whoever is going to be left behind on the platform. Because there are those who are still on the platform. Some have their platform tickets. They're not yet ready to get on the train. So tide doesn't wait for any man. Tide is your opportunity. Opportunity comes when it comes, ladies and gentlemen, and it will go when it goes. Those who are vigilant, those who are aware, those who are mindful, those who are always on the watch out for an opportunity, those who are always looking for their escape, they will see and take use, make use and exploit this opportunity. But if opportunity doesn't take you, then the missed opportunity will take you. That is time. Time is nothing more than an opportunity missed.
So one of these two things will always catch you, either tide or time, and neither of them waits for man. It's all down to you. That's why none of us should feel that we are helpless. Because you always have the opportunity. You always have both opportunity and, and missed opportunity. You can either catch the tide or you can catch time. If you catch the time train, then you will be delayed. If you catch the tide train, you will make use of the opportunity. That's it. They are both available to you. Think wisely, think carefully. Think about that child from noble hearts, you know, 10 years old, 11 years old. See what progress he's made in his short life. Look at how far he's managed to come in such a short period of time. To be able to walk up to your mother and say, Amma, you're just a mother. That is not out of disrespect. Certainly not. And for a mother to not feel heartbroken upon hearing those words, I mean, that is something, isn't it? Just think about, you know, if the same mother, several years ago, if the child would have come up to me, you are not my mother anymore. <gasps> the father would have had to rush out of the hospital. <laughs> Don't you think so? I mean, mother's in the house, yes? You know what I'm talking about. There's nothing quite mother's, uh, mother's love, right? A motherly bond, there's nothing quite like that. It is what has dried you to the bone. It is what has taken away all your good years. It is what has grayed out your hairs on your head. Motherhood. It is the toll that life has taken upon you. Motherhood. The price that you've had to pay. You know what that's like if you are a mother. But then for this mother to say, it's okay, Pata, if you feel you're ready for it, then off you go. You are now free. Just like that. Come on. Miracles do happen. My mother hasn't given me up yet. And I'm 36. <laughs> or something like that. I've lost count now. She hasn't given me up yet. If I were to speak to my mother and say, you're not my mother anymore, that would be a big problem at home. <laughs> the difference is, this mother is always in the Dhamma. She's in the association of noble ones. She has sought refuge in the noble triple gem. I mean, I'm t the reason I'm highlighting this special case is because, you know, usually you know that this is one of the strongest bonds that man knows. Yeah, this is one of the strongest bonds. So whatever other bonds that you might have in comparison to this can only be minuscule. Because we all have mothers, so we know the bond, the attachment that we have towards our own mothers and the bond and the love and affection and devotion that they have towards us. We are, it's almost like we are a religion to them. <laughs> Don't you think so? Huh? Like if someone comes and insults your religion, it's like it's part of your own fabric, right? It's, it's part of your blood and bones. Someone not re insult your religion, but people kill in the name of religion. But someone can, your cat is ugly, get lost. Your god is ugly. <laughs> because religion is a big part of people's lives. 
It's almost like, you know, a child is a mother's religion. She adheres to it. She sacrifices herself. Blood, sweat and tears, no end of that. And her good years, no end of that. Time she could have spent with her mother, sacrificed. Time she could, she could have spent with her friends, sacrificed. Time she could have spent with her husband, sacrificed. Time she could have spent watching TV, that's why she got the 65-inch, sacrificed. Time she could have spent going on trips, enjoying the good life, sacrificed. You know this, because you're all mothers. Any mother in the house knows what I'm talking about. So once again, the reason I'm highlighting this particular case is because if this is what, one of the strongest bonds known to man, if this is what can be done to one of the strongest bonds known to man, then all other bonds, whatever they are in your hearts, what other, whatever other bonds you have that bother you, that torment you, that torture you, that keep you up at night, that's, that are still responsible for shedding tears in your eyes, I ask you, What's the deal? Hasn't the Dhamma still started to work its magic on you? Let the Dhamma do what it can do for you. You just need to let it. That's it. There's no price to pay for the Dhamma. It's free. There are no ifs and there are no buts. There are no restrictions, there are no conditions, nothing. It's yours for the taking, it's just there, just go and take it. The Buddha does not lay down any conditions. Give me an arm, otherwise no, no dumb, nothing like that. The Mahasanga, if they truly, if they truly embody the values of the Mahasanga, no conditions. Compassion comes with no conditions. Honestly, compassion comes with no conditions. Try me. You come and lay down some conditions to me. So I'm not, I'm not going to worship you again. Okay, well, listen down, let's sit down and listen to the Dhamma with you first. Ah, okay, so I'm not, no arms again. Well, first listen to the Dhamma with you. Let's later talk about the arms. Try me. Try the Mahasanga. See if laying down any of your conditions, your terms and your conditions and your restrictions and your limitations are going to make them change one bit. Because if all things are the same, if all things can be seen equanimously, hmm? if, if fame and insult are only just, are merely two manifestations of the same source, then what's the deal? So be it. If when you praise me, it's only the rewards of merits, and when you insult me, it's only the consequences of demerit, they're both mine, aren't they? There is nothing you have inflicted upon me. There is nothing you have imposed upon me. I have taken 100% responsibility of whatever comes towards me. Have you? 100%. There will be times I will try to change circumstances. I will try to change the environment for a better tomorrow. Yes, but I won't complain. The Mahasanga doesn't complain. They don't have complaints. They accept. They accept 
But if, if situations can be better, they strive for that. What are we doing right now? I mean, it's not right for me to just accept that you're all suffering. Mentally, I'm okay with that. If you're suffering, okay. But not okay. Because it's not you who's suffering. Suffering happens. When suffering happens, you give it an identity. That's why you feel you suffer. But what is happening right now is suffering. In the same way, gentle sir, that you feel that you are an identity, this gentleman feels the same. Just like this ant here feels the same. But of course you have different memories. You, have, you take sights in a different way. You take sounds in a different way. You have various views. And these all come together to give you a different instance of it. So you feel that you are different, but you are not different in any way. This is just suffering. Same causes will always produce the same results, won't they? So if ignorance and attachment are the causes of suffering, then ignorance and attachment, wherever it is, will only always give rise to the same result. This is why the other day I asked you, why does an arahant, once they have become an arahant, go on to serve, preach the Dhamma and serve the Buddha Sasana? Why? If they, have, if they have become an arahant, why don't they just accept the fact that people suffer? What's their problem? What's their problem? If they have become an arahant, if they have freed themselves from suffering, then why do they go around preaching the Dhamma? What's the, what's the problem? If, 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 they have, if they are able to take all things the same, then why do they feel like they have to go on preaching the Dhamma? It's because their fight was never against their suffering. So really, their work is not done yet. Yeah, Their work isn't done yet. Because suffering still exists. Where? Somewhere. You know, it's like the king of the country. If you have a domestic issue at your home, people next door, they don't have a problem with that. Unless, of course, they hear you when you have an argument. Then they have a problem with that. But a street down, one block away, they certainly have no problem with that. They don't even know whether you exist. But when you have an argument, that is a domestic problem, so you have a problem at home. But when they argue, they have a problem, that is a domestic problem for them. So one problem is resolved, the other problem still continues. One house, the pro where they had the problem initially, they're fine now. They had their arguments, they've settled it, reconciled, problem gone. Now they're okay. But the other house, they still have a problem, they're still arguing. But the king of the land, they still have a problem. Because to them, all people are his subjects. You get that? For the king, all people are his subjects. So if there's a problem, if there's an altercation, if there's an argument somewhere, and if that is happening within his land, then that is his problem. Now in the same way, ladies and gentlemen, when an arahant becomes an arahant, Let's say just a moment before becoming an arahant, one split second before becoming an arahant, he still feels, just ever so slightly, he still feels that it is his suffering that he's trying to come out of. Just like the Buddha did. The Buddha thought he was about to become the Buddha. And until then, he, didn't, he couldn't become the Buddha. And then he realized at one point, it is not I who is becoming a Buddha. That was his enlightenment. It's a realization, nothing more. So when you become an arahant when you realize that it is not your suffering you are trying to deal with. Suffering. 
So now he has become an arahant. There are an infinite number of sufferings going on. One suffering has just been extinguished. Has the problem been solved? What is infinity minus one? So therefore, he continues to wage war. That's why an arahant, until his parinibbana, in other words, until there is an opportunity, there's still a tide that he can ride. Until there's an opportunity to wage war and, and battle suffering, he will continue to do so. Makes sense, doesn't it? But if it was his suffering, this is again evidence that suffering does not belong to you. I mean, you can turn it around on its head and, and make use of this as evidence that jati, after all, is only a perception. Because if jati wasn't a perception, if suffering was the arahants, after he has become an arahant, why would he continue the sasana service? Hmm? Why would he? There would be no reason for that, because he is now freed. Then the next thing he, to, he, to, he should do is, oh well, the only suffering that is left now for me is the physical suffering, right? Let me go and off with myself. But he doesn't. He goes on delivering the Dhamma, he goes on preaching the Dhamma. As the Buddha said, Charata Bhikkhu Charika, Bhaujana Hitai, Bhaujana Sukhaya. So he goes on doing that. Because only one drop of water has been emptied from the ocean. An ocean of suffering is out there, and one drop of it has been taken out. The whole ocean still remains. So may you become arahants as soon as possible. As soon as possible. Because the whole world needs that. Hearts need healing and mind need, minds need mending, ladies and gentlemen. And you need to be doing that. Because it's only a healed heart that can heal another heart. So work your way there as soon as possible. Give this gift to yourself initially and then give it to others. If there's a mother in here who's worried about her child, maybe you, you're, you're scared, will my child one day come and ask me, I want to become a monk, then what do I do? If you're there, let the Dhamma heal you. Get, get working on the Dhamma as soon as possible. Otherwise you're going to be at odds with the truth you're going to suffer and then you will know I know what is right and I know what is right for me these two things will be at odds then I, of course you as someone who wants to do what is right will make the right choice but internally you will suffer we don't want that, not for a mother a mother who has given up her child to the sasana uh uh, wrong again <laughs> A mother who has done what? Given the sasana to her child. That is what a mother does. A mother who really understands, that is what she does. She gives the sasana to the child. Because this is the gift, ladies and gentlemen. You don't give someone to the gift, you give the gift to someone. Yeah? So when they take that gift, all bonds will start to begin to sever. All attachments will start to, leave, to release. 
This is what's going to happen in their minds as they continue to listen to the teaching, as they continue to listen to the Dhamma. The Dhamma begins to work its magic. It does it on every mind. As long as you let it do it, it will do it. So once it starts to do it, once this magic begins to happen, then, you know, they're, they're going to forget, you know, in that moment, they're not your child. A chitta is just a chitta. It's only a perception that one has that I am a mother, I am a father, I am a child, I am a brother, I am a sister, I am a daughter, I am a granddaughter. These are all perceptions. That is why you only feel that you are a child in front of your parents. You don't feel that in front of your spouse, do you? So this is not evidence that in every chitta you create this persona, as we talked about last week? If you are a mother, then you must be feeling like that everywhere, with your colleagues. So do you go around telling your colleagues what they should be eating and shouldn't be eating? Or what they should be doing on their weekends? <laughs> you don't go mothering them around, do you? No, because you feel, like, oh, that's not my place and time and place to do that. I'm not their mother. And sometimes people will ask you, who are you to come and tell me that? Do you think you're my mother? Are you my mother? Who, you, who do you think you are to come and tell me what to do and what not to do? So you know you have to draw a line there. In other words, you know that your motherhood is only in a chitta. So when you are with your mother, you don't feel that you are her mother, do you? So motherhood vanishes. It disappears. And in its place comes child. Where did that come from? So what happened to the mother? Where did she go? Where did the mother go then? Motherness, motherhood, where did that go? So do you see it's only a creation in the mind? When the conditions are right, in the right environment, motherhood is created. It's a product of causes. See, mothers, come to your senses about this. Then you will be free. Motherhood is a death sentence, don't you get it? It's a lifetime term that you have to serve. It's like being imprisoned for life. From the moment you become a mother, you are imprisoned for life. This prison of motherhood. So whenever something happens to this external entity, which is just the five aggregates, you feel a connection to it. If something breaks there, you break internally. If this falls apart, you fall apart internally. You know, something physical is happening out there, something mental is happening here. How mental is that? Just think about this. How nonsensical that is. How meaningless that is. I'm just talking about mother and child, you know, I want you to apply this to anything, any, any, any kind of bond, any kind of attachment that you might have. If you're, you know, a young member of the audience, maybe you're, you're attached to you, your phone, computer games, your bat, your racket, whatever, your badge, your cap, whatever, your computer. See, things happen to physical things and then here mentally you break down. These are on two levels, aren't they? One is physical, the other is mental. How come something physical can affect something mental? It's not the external event that is causing you to suffer. It's your response that is taking place in the mind. That is the whole, that is the, that is the ground for all of this. You just, need to, you just need to realize this. Your realization is your answer to this problem. 
And until you realize, you will suffer. Because suffering is not caused by what is happening to the outside world. It is not. Not one bit. Not one bit. You allow yourself to suffer. You can't suffer without your permission. No one can make you suffer without your permission. So therefore when someone, if you feel that someone's making you suffer, and you go and accuse them, why do you say something like that? It hurts me. Then you, they can ask you in return, why do you let me? They can ask you this question, why do you let me? Don't, don't let me. That's why I say take full responsibility. This is where everything starts. Unless you take full responsibility for the things that, are go that go on in your life, for all your emotions, right? unless you begin to take full responsibility for everything that goes on within yourself, until you take full responsibility, for as long as you keep pointing your finger at your husband or your wife or your child or your mother or your father or your uncle or your aunt or your brother or your sister, your colleagues, your fellow citizens, as long as you keep on doing that, ladies and gentlemen, there is no hope for you because you are trying to fix the problem where it does not exist. Here's a fire. Here's where you're holding the pipe, the hose pipe. When is that fire going to go out? Tell me. There's the fire. Here's where you're holding the water pipe. When is that fire going to extinguish? The answer is never. But you're wasting water. This water, if only you turn the pipe the other way around, in two buckets, that fire is going to extinguish. See, all the while, as you're on this wrong track, on the wrong path, you're extending, you're, you're consuming energy and tide that you have come into this world with to actually address the real problem. You know, this is the pity of it. This is why it's such a shame. All the while, you're expending good life. You know, it's like money, isn't it? Well spent or badly spent, it's spent after all. If you make a wrong choice, if you make a bad investment, can you go back and ask for that money? Hmm? What do they tell you when you make an investment? Investments can go up as well as down. It is at the risk of the person making the investment. That is what they say. So you're making investments with your time. A whole year has passed us. A whole year. You've made an investment. This year you can't get back. You can only get the returns of your investments. That you can get. So now count your returns and see whether you're pleased with yourselves. If you are, well done. I was only giving you one example of a couple a mother and a child, who must be pleased with their investment over the last year. So I'm relating to you one story, and I'm asking you, what are your stories? What investments have you got in the bank? You've made an investment, what are your returns now? Are you pleased with your returns? If you are, well done. If not, then make some changes about how you're going to be making your investments in the next year, in the upcoming year. Is there such a thing as a year? No, there isn't. So then what are we going to be doing tomorrow? We just come in, we just need a reason to get together, right?
That's all. I mean, any reason for noble association, why not? Huh? Must it be New Year? What about Christmas? Can't we get together on Christmas? Well, I mean, let's create days in the year. As long as, you know, it gives you time off at work so you can get together and, to, you know, come into noble association. So be it. I think nowadays, you know, we should bring in the Chinese New Year. Let's bring all that into our calendars. Huh? And then make them a reason for us to come together. More reasons, yes. More reasons to come together. Let's find out when the Japanese celebrate their New Year. Let's find out when the Mongolians celebrate their New Year and then the Thai people celebrate their New Year. And let's put all those dates in our calendars. So you have the, you know, the, uh, the New Year, the uh, conventional calendar, you have the academic calendar and you have the Jetonarama calendar. <laughs> Every other week you have a Dakineyo, another reason for people to get together. That's what we do. Until you're ready to actually make the jump and then you, don't know, you no longer need days in the year. Then 365 days, you're in noble association. <laughs> That's why recently I related a very fond experience I had last week. We had the Bandu Karma, where our young Anagarikas who just went on to become monks, they have their hair shaved. So I related a story of a recent experience. I was telling them about a certain Sila Sravik, no, a Sila Uesi, Mahatmya. How over the last few years she's been working with us at the monastery, and she's become very close, she's become a devotee of the Dhamma, the Sangha, and the Buddha. And she comes and tells me, Swami Nas, I don't know what it is that I must be doing right. But every single week, when I serve my arms bowl, and I sit down to eat, and it's time for Vindul Pindapatha, Guru Swami Nohanse, wherever he starts off, he takes a turn down my alley. I don't know what it is I must be doing right. What could it be? She asks me. I said, well, you must be doing everything right. You know, this is your merit. Your devotion to the Buddha, your devotion to the Dhamma, your devotion to the Sangha, and therefore your belief in merits and the power of merits. It's bringing you results, isn't it? Don't you believe now that whatever happens to you is your own making, is your own doing? And she says, yes, yes, Swami Nasa, I understand that now. I said, sadhu, sadhu. So after we have this conversation, I get up and it's now my time to worship the Buddha and count my lucky stars. So as I walk down the stage, I look at her and say, Madam, you ask me what it is you must be doing right to have Guru Swami Nasa come to you on Indulpindapath every day. Can you imagine what I must be doing right? <laughs> he is my teacher. Swagatang vatame asi mama guru santike.
That's why I ask you, don't come here to see me, come here to see what I have seen. Come here to see how a mother has given up her child for good. Experience that. Experience freedom from attachment. Experience the bliss of it. Experience the joy of it. Experience the freedom. Taste it, ladies and gentlemen. It is so delicious. Taste it. Come and listen to him speak. Come and listen to those words. Pay attention to those words. Let it transform you. If it has done it for me, it will do it for everyone. I am not special. I am very normal. I am not special. This is, why, this is why I ask those who are still listening to us online, why, why online? When you can be here with us. I can't see you, but you can see me right now. I ask you, why? Why online? You can see me, but I can't see you. Don't you get it? Don't you see the missing part? You can see me, and I can see you. You can see me, but I can't see you. What you're waiting for? See, people, they've taken a leap of faith. They listened to the Dhamma, they analyzed it analytically, intelligently, and then they realized this must be the truth. This is a science, it's making sense. So once you realize that something's making sense, then, you know, commit yourselves wholly to it. Why half? The other half, what, doesn't make sense? Because the truth and the lie can't both make sense at the same time, right? If attachment causes suffering, attachment can't cause suffering, can't both be true at the same time. So if you realize that attachment causes suffering, why only let go half of it? <laughs> I ask you. Huh? If attachment causes suffering, why only let go half of it? What about the other half? Does it not cause suffering? So whatever else you're attached to, is that not something you have to work on? And if so much is what you can do in your lay lives, then what about the rest of it? Do you not need to free yourselves entirely from suffering? And if for that, if what you need is close and noble association and it's available to you for free and we feed you and we clothe you and we shelter you and we, we give you medicines when you're ill, hmm? what more do you need, I ask? If the Buddha is here, if the Dhamma is here, if the Sangha is here, if the truth is here and the train is on the platform, and it's announcing that it will be leaving in just a short moment. What are you waiting for? You're not going to hear these words with the same passion for very long. You're not. Because time and tide wait for no man. If the tide doesn't teach you, time will. If you don't catch the tide, you will have to catch time. Jump on one of these two trains, you will have to. You must. One will bring you opportunity. The other will remind you of lost opportunity. This is what the Nyati Pretas do now. All of those 
helpless beings who depend and rely entirely upon you to be doing merits and transfer merits to them. That is what that is all they have now. No other refuge. Because their sankara were in line with that. Nyati paraheyata says therefore it's only the nyati. It is only the relations who can now provide for them. And they have to wait until that is provided. What a shame. Because they didn't take tide. So now time is teaching them a lesson. Teaching them all the things they should have done, all the things they could have done but didn't. So once again I ask yourselves, I ask you, a whole year has gone by. Any excuse for us to take stock of what we've done and remind ourselves of what the things that were left undone that we should have. That's why I said, a year is something that we do celebrate at the monastery. The end of one and the turn of a new one. We do. Not because actually a year has passed. No such thing has happened. It's just an excuse. It's just an excuse to ask yourselves, are you keeping with noble association? Are you practicing the path diligently? Are you doing the best you can? Are you living a righteous life? Are you on the noble eightfold path? Are your thoughts in line with Yoniso Manasikara? Are you doing the merits that you ought to be doing? Are you doing yourselves a favor? Or are you doing yourselves a disfavor? Are you taking use of the tide? Or are you just letting time pass by? For those reasons, the celebration of a year is worthwhile. It's something we ought to do. To ask ourselves, are we spending the time, in other words, it's not really time that we spend, ladies and gentlemen, we are actually spending merits. That's what we are spending. We are spending vipaka, both good and bad. In fact, there's no such thing called good and bad vipaka, after all, but there are those that are conducive to happiness and there are those that are conducive to suffering. That's it. To the universe, it's all the same. To God, it's all the same. To vipaka, it's all the same. It's all looked at equanimously. But, of course, you understand, you know, Sometimes people ask, if, if in the next birth it's not I who's suffering, then why do I care? What happens to the person in the next birth? What a foolish question to be asking, because don't you suffer now? Then if you had said the same about yourself in the previous birth, what do you think? Hmm? Sometimes you'll come across too smart for their own good. They'll ask such questions. If it's not me who's suffering in the next birth, if it's not I who's going to become a dog, in the next birth, then who cares? Why is it my problem? But when you have a toothache <laughs> and you're running around the house, turning everything upside down, and you're screaming at the top of your guts, then what do you feel about the, the consequences of your own actions? There, in those moments, don't you say, Vachi, 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 forgive me and excuse me, I will never do such things again. You're only talking like this, so freely, so liberally, because right now you, feel, you seem to be comfortable. Because regret only comes when it's time to suffer, isn't it? <laughs> Otherwise you just enjoy yourselves. So, whenever you enjoy the pleasures of life, because life will bring you such things, I mean, particularly you people, because you're always engaged in merits, right? So the comforts of life will always come your way. In fact, you're probably becoming more prosperous and perhaps even wealthier than you used to be. With little effort, now you're getting a lot of gain. 
That is natural. It will be so. Because, because now your minds are becoming purer. Therefore, you are becoming someone who belongs to everybody. If you want to find where the most amount of water is in this monastery, it's in a tank up there. Because what does a tank do? It distributes. So therefore, things always collect where it is a source for others. That's where the most amount of water is. So when you become someone who is always giving to others, you will become someone who will always attract. That is the law of attraction. The law of attraction is the principle of giving. That's it. Whatever you give, you get. That is the law of attraction. Very simple. So as you are now becoming someone who gives to all, not just one person, not just your own family, but gives to all, gives for a greater cause, gives to something bigger than you, greater than you. Because, you know, see, take this glass of water, this mug of water, for instance. If you are responsible for putting that there, you are not just offering some water to a Swami Nuhansi. That's not what you're doing. You're enabling the delivery of the truth. That's what you're doing. Think of this as a means to an end. Always. Whenever you make an offering. That's why we say, don't think of the food that you offer. Think about, are you one of Sapabala Patipana? That is the end. If you are responsible for this microphone here, don't just think of someone using a microphone to speak. That's not what it is. You're enabling the delivery of the truth. You're enabling minds to be mended and hearts to be healed. That's what you're doing. If you are responsible for turning on that aircon, switching on those fans, turning on these lights, laying down these chairs, see, countless examples, right? For every grain of rice, for every grain of sand that touches your feet, every grain of rice that goes to sate your hunger, whoever is responsible for that, whoever is behind that, After all, I'm talking about you. Who else? I want all of you to realize that what you're doing is not just feeding an empty stomach, a hungry stomach. That's not what you're doing. Don't stop yourself there. That's, that's too short. Don't just stop there. Think it through. Think about what you're actually giving by filling that stomach with food, with providing energy, with providing vitality, with providing longevity, what are you actually giving? You're fueling a furnace, aren't you? A furnace that has been ignited. The fire of Dhamma is emblazed and it's, it's spreading its, its heat. It's spreading its energy far and wide. That is the furnace to which you keep adding fuel. So don't think that you're feeding a monk. Don't stop there. That is too short. Too little, too short. Don't stop there. In fact, whenever you feed a monk, it's not a monk you're feeding. You're feeding the whole human race. You're feeding mankind. When you robe a monk, it's not a monk you're robing. You're robing humankind. I'm, I'm teaching you how to 
magnify and amplify the power of your merits because it is always your intention that counts, ladies and gentlemen. That is why the same offering made by someone who is only a sotapanna is far less than the same offering and than the offering made by an anagami person because it's the same offering made to the same individual, but their realization is much more profound. So I invite you to enhance your realization. Think about the implications. Far and wide, it's reach. So this afternoon you have an opportunity to serve some of the food that's in your arms bowl into the arms bowl of a, of a monk who will come to you on Pindapatha. Don't think of it as feeding a monk. You know, sometimes there are these campaigns, like donation campaigns, feed a poor child, feed a beggar, feed a sick person, right? I agree with that because that is exactly what they're doing. You feed a sick person, you fed a sick person, and now they can become better for it. You feed a child, you fed, you fed a child, yes. But if you feed a monk, and that monk is engaged in the service of the sasana, to him, no one special, not even his mother is special to him, or her for that matter. Even he himself is not special to him. Because nothing is special when nothing is separate, is it? To be special, things have to be separate. So what's special? There is nothing that is special. Everything is so unspecial. I just invented that word, by the way. Everything is so ordinary. Everything's the same. Everything on a level playing field. On that platform, everyone stands the same, same, same height. Everyone. I always tell Anagarika Mahatmyas, I don't feel that you are any different to our Swami Nuhanse, so Anagarika Mahatmyas. But there are conventions to which we have to conform. So I might pat Swami Nuhanse on the back, but I won't never, you'll never find me doing that to an Anagarika Mahatmyas. Not because I feel that they're women. It's a convention. We adhere to that, to the letter. But the love and affection that we have in our heart towards all is to all. If there's someone who is interested and engaged in the purpose of Nibbana, ladies and gentlemen, we are willing to give our lives for them. No questions asked. If you come up here and say, Swami Nasir, Nibbana is all I need, and you, have, and you say it genuinely, if you actually mean it genuinely, Nibbana is all I want, and I am prepared to commit my whole life and everything to Nibbana. If you are prepared to commit your life, I will give you my life in return if that is what it takes. Because it is not my Nibbana or your Nibbana that matters. Nibbana is Nibbana. For the very reason an Arahant does not feel that their, that, their, that their service can come to an end just because they have extinguished one fire, because that's just one out of an infinite number of fires. To them, it's not their suffering that has been exterminated, suffering, just one of it, but there's an ocean full of it. Same reason. The Mahasangha is such, I'm not talking about myself individually, because again, once again, who's the me I can talk about? Where is the me I can talk about? I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking about a quality, 
I'm talking about a characteristic, I'm talking about a virtue. And that quality is present in all of you. Why do you make offerings to the Mahasangha, I ask you? You work for it. You're the ones who go to work, not us. Hmm? You strive for it. You go and get told off by your bosses and still you, you work hard, you toil day and night, putting aside time because you have to do partly, you have responsibilities that you have towards your family, but you know it's not the only thing that you do. That is because you know that somewhere in some part of this world, there are a group of people, not just in one place, I'm sure there will be there plenty of others, but if there's someone who has committed themselves to Nibbana, don't you want to be their protector? Don't you feel like that? Don't you want to be the, the one who facilitates that? Don't you take joy and pride in doing that? I take every joy and pride in doing that. We have created this environment for people like that. In fact, we are all here because we all feel that way. You come here, you mean you create the places for you to come and sit on. You brought that chair with you. You built this roof. You put the lights on. You put this chair here and this table here. And you put the glass here. This is all you're doing. Because you have committed yourselves to Nibbana. That's what. That's what it is. Nibbana is our common purpose. Because we understand that this train is not going to be on this platform forever. Time is very precious. Time is very precious especially when you have realized the purpose of time. If you understood the value of time, then time is very precious to you. If you haven't understood the value of time, then just let it, you just let it pass. A minute turns into an hour, an hour turns into a day, a day turns into a couple of days, that into a week, a week into a month, and a month into a year, and a year into a decade. That is how time passed by. Look back, and if you can't think to yourself, you know, what are those things that I've, I've done for the last 50 years of my life? That's because you didn't understand the value of time. Such regrets will not come to your mind once you understand the value of time. The value of time is to be appreciated if you understand the value of the Dhamma, if you understand the value of merits, if you understand the value of the Buddha Sasana, then actually time becomes valuable. You see, because for someone who is not keen or who is not interested, who is not engaged with Nibbana, ladies and gentlemen, I mean, so what, what happens in the time that they have to them, for themselves? Because, you know, it's just a cycle. It just, you know, goes up and go, comes down, goes up and comes down, that's it. In fact, you know, you can't waste time unless you, are, you're, you want to attain Nibbana. Do you agree? If you're not interested in Nibbana, you can't waste time. So don't find yourself pointing your finger or blaming someone for wasting time because before you, ask, before you accuse someone of wasting time, ask them, are you interested in Nibbana? If they say, what is Nibbana? Ah, then that's fine. Because they're not wasting time. Time is wasted when there is something you have to get done in that period of time, right? That's when time can be wasted. We say time is being wasted because... When, the time, when time passes, you, you, some, you, you lose the opportunity to do something. 
That is, why we, that is when we say we waste time. The opportunity for something is lost. Then you say time has been wasted. Let's take someone who's busy building up their own business. That's what they're doing. They're building up a business. Right? So they just let time pass by. Time that they could have gone, you know, getting the trades in, you know, doing the, signing the contracts, going, doing agreements, meeting customers, meeting clients, whatever. All that they could be doing to build up their business, they just let time pass by. They don't really engage themselves in that. Do you think they're wasting time? Because don't you think that they will have plenty and more opportunities to do the same again? Hmm? Countless opportunities to do the same again. So why do you accuse them of wasting time? There are plenty more opportunities to do that. Say a child who's not engaged in their, in their studies properly. You know, they're, not, they're not really doing their homework. They're not doing their studies. They're not doing the classwork. They're not turning up for school. They're playing truant, whatever. Right? And now as a parent, you might feel you have to accuse them and try and get them to do what they have to be doing in the time. So you say, you're wasting your time. Before you ask that, ask them, are you interested in Nibbana? If Nibbana is not what they're doing, Believe you me, they're not wasting their time because they have, they'll have plenty more opportunities to do their studies, to do their exams, do A-levels a million times over. They're not wasting time. After all, time is all you have. But when it comes to Nibbana, time is all you don't have. So you can only make this accusation to someone who is actually keen on Nibbana because the Buddhasasana comes once in a blue moon. Actually, it doesn't even come once in a blue moon. It doesn't come once in a blue moon. It comes once every several kalpas, several eons. So therefore, if one passes by, then what you should have done in that time, you don't get to do. And therefore, in the time it takes between now and the next Buddha, even if you were able to get what you want to do in the next Buddha's dispensation, during that time, you suffer. You suffer, continuously suffer. Every chitta suffers, every chitta suffers. Now then you can say there is time wasted. Because every chitta suffers. So the concept of wasting time only applies to those. Those who do what? Those who do Nibbana. If you are not interested in Nibbana, don't you worry, you are not wasting your time. So what are you? That's a nice word in Sinhalese. Kalakanni. But you can take that away with you only if you are keen on Nibbana. <laughs> if you are not, you can leave it. That was not to you. Not, not intended for you. Don't let a single chitta pass you by. I know this is easier said than done. Absolutely. I, I, I accept it. Strive for that. At least catch blocks of chittas if you can't catch individual chittas for the time being. At least start with days to begin with. A day. In a day, how much of that day have you spent in Manasikara? How much have you spent in Ayanuso Manasikara? Hmm? Once you do this counting days at a time, you, get, you start getting better at it. Then take half a day. Every half a day take stock. Take an account of where you are. How did I spend the last half? And the, then the second half, how did I spend the last half? That's about 12 hours. You know, 12 hours is a long time. 
in chitta time it's countless you know one day for you to become an arahant you have to be mindful of every chitta of course you can't catch individual chittas that is granted only a buddha can come to awareness of a, and and catch an individual chitta but as you strive towards and get to the arahat marg and as you come closer to the arahat pala each chitta becomes mindful mindfully aware because each chitta has a job to do and that is to cleanse the mind base the more you do that the purer it becomes and it comes to one point where it is clear of all defilements so i urge you all to have this as your goal have this as your ambition we are at the turn of a new year ask yourselves have you wasted any of your time in the last year this fine because we always fall forward we don't fall backwards what is to fall forward to take a lesson from your failings if you've taken a lesson then not all is lost because there are two ways in which you can learn a lesson right you can either learn from someone else's mistake in which case you call them a teacher or you become the teacher how is that by making a mistake so your last year allow it and let it to become a teacher to you because we always refer to those who are more experienced than us to take lessons don't we are you not more experienced because of the last year yeah so in this moment you have just been born but your last year is how many years worth of experience 20 30 40 50 years of experience to this chitta all of the previous chittas are teachers see when the student is ready the teacher appears you don't need to go looking elsewhere that's a fountain of experience a wealth of knowledge and experience goods and bads ups and downs all of these things will 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 help you but take a moment to take stock of that where were the faults where were the pitfalls where did you fail right where did you become victim to desire think about those moments and in those moments did you go and seek refuge did you seek help from your teachers or were they just there for the name sake most of you are fortunate enough to have an individual teacher i mean who gets that sort of thing in this world i ask you a teacher to oneself where you can go and confide with and share all your problems with and get the real dhamma as as a as a solution and not just utter nonsense like angry go for a walk what good is that because as you start going for a walk if you you know bump your toe on something you get even more angry if you see some litter on the floor on the ground right and it's your ground then you get even more angry so sometimes going for a walk is the last thing you ought to be doing when you're angry because that does not address the actual root of the problem but those of you who have teachers you will know that every time you went to your teacher with a the problem they always pointed the finger back at you don't you they would have reminded you your karma is what is bringing you these vipakas now who are you going to blame 
The cause of these consequences are your own actions. So who are you going to blame? Are you going to blame me for that? Are you going to blame the person next to you for that? Are you going to blame the sun and the, the earth for that? Are you going to blame the wind? Are you going to blame the rain for that? In fact, are you going to blame God for your misfortune? No, you created the environment which drew all the vipaka. That's it. So your teachers would have reminded you of this. Only if you went and talked to them, though. That is why in, the, in front of your teachers, you have to be genuine. You have to be authentic. You've got to be who you are. Don't put up a pretense. If your left arm aches, don't tell them it's your right arm. That's got a problem. Because then they'll start treating that. And, you, and if you start fixing what isn't broken, what happens? If you start fixing what's broken, what's not broken? It breaks. As I say, don't fix what ain't broken. So, if something's broken, show them what's broken. And tell them what's not broken. Tell them what has been mended from the last time that you got good advice and counsel. Make use of that opportunity. These are your merits. You're paying for this with your merits, don't forget. You're paying for it with your merits. This is not free. You just don't see money being exchanged. But money is also merits converted to paper. That is what money is. But merits is the driving force behind all of it. It's not money. You get food on a plate because of merits. You, get, you have money in the bank because of merits. You have good friends to associate with because of merits. You have a good teacher to give you advice and counsel and guidance because of merits. You have a comfortable bed to sleep on because of your merits. You have a chair to sit down on and listen to the Dhamma because of merits. All of this because of your good merits. So don't thank me for any of this. I'm not the one who's bringing you any of this, these comforts, this glory. Nothing, none of it is my doing, it's all your doing. I'm just reminding you that you are responsible for all of your rewards and your repentances. These are all your doings. So once you become, once you become aware of this, now you are empowered, aren't you? Previously you would have thought of yourselves as victims. This victim mindset. What can I do? God is not kind to me. Hmm? Fate is not kind to me. Karma is not kind to me. What can I do? Is there anyone in this room who now points their finger at somebody else or up there and say, you are responsible for this? Anyone? No. Because what's up there are the things that you've thrown up. <laughs> you threw up. So when it comes down on your head, just remember... It is you who threw them up. What does that do to you? This knowledge, what does that do to you? Yes, it empowers you. Does it not? Because now you get to decide, you get to determine what happens tomorrow. It's in nobody else's hand. It's in your own hands. How does that make you feel? Energized, empowered, on top of the world. Because your tomorrow can be determined today. Now you don't have to surrender to fate. If you are a victim of domestic abuse, hmm? if you are a victim of rape, whose fault was that? 
Don't tell anyone I told this. They'll burn me alive. Because these are controversial topics. Because people find it far easier to point this finger outwards and say, it's their fault. Let's go sort them out. Let's imprison them. Let's build bigger prisons so that we can put in all the rapists and all the domestic abusers in there. You keep on doing that, again you are accumulating karma. So after all, you're just creating a rod for your own back. That's why inflicting punishment on someone who's done wrong is the worst thing that you can do. Because what you're doing is actually creating a stick for your own back. Let us not be the adjudicators of karma and vipaka. Let us not be that. Let us not be the executioners. Let karma and vipaka sort itself out. Everyone for, for themselves. What they have done, they will have to pay. What they have done, they will reap rewards of. Don't you catch yourselves being those who inflict upon others justice. Justice, my lord. Don't you be the one who serves that. See, catch yourselves. In the next year, I ask you, be very mindful about these things. If you see injustice going on, right, don't you be the one who tries to go and settle a score. You can try and pacify the situation. You can try and open their eyes and you know, help them to see sense, help them to come to a reasonable argument, agreement rather. Right? But don't you be the one who goes out and take ven takes vengeance. When the snake's going after the rabbit, don't you be the one who throws a stone at the snake. Because next time the snake's going to come after who? After you, then you're going to be the rabbit. Now you haven't solved a problem in this world, have you? You've just transferred the problem. That's all you've done. That is why meddling in God's affairs is a bad idea. Let God do God's work and you do your work. As I say, let the donkey do the donkey's work and the dog do the dog's work. Yeah. So let God do his work and let us donkeys do our donkey's work. Let's not go meddling in his affairs. So you see two people having a fight and you think one of them is being reasonable, the other is unreasonable. Now you go and, have, and attack the unreasonable person, in your opinion. See, the problem has not been solved. The, say, the problem remains, someone else has just taken their place. You have just become a substitute. That's it. But the problem still remains. So whenever you try to go and solve a reconciliation of karma and vipaka, if you interfere, if you intervene in that situation in an unrighteous way, do it righteously, no problem. See, this is what we are doing, righteously. We are intervening in your karma and vipaka. We are actually. We are meddling with it but in the right way, in a wise way. We are giving you the Dhamma. But if you are a victim of domestic abuse, I'm not going to come and slap your husband, or your wife, for that matter. I'm not going to come and sort that issue out. But I'm going to tell you, I'm going to teach you. Here's why it happens. You are creating an environment to attract such vipakas. Try and change that environment. This is called empowering. Without enslaving. So don't enslave yourselves. Empower yourselves. The Dhamma empowers.
See, these are all things that we have to be mindfully aware of if we want to be responsible for our own lives and our tomorrows. Conventionally, tomorrow is the end of a year. And then the following day, a new year will dawn upon us. People throughout the world will make their own ambitions, their goals, their dreams, right? You are, as I say, you are a, you are a special species now. You are not homo sapiens. You are homo sapiens aryans. Hmm? You are another species. You have evolved now. This is actually real evolution. You are evolved now. So that evolution must account for something. So whilst every man and his dog around the world will be throwing parties and firing firecrackers and doing the fireworks, I want you to think about the last year because you have a teacher there. Not just a year's worth of teacher, but whatever your age is, that many years worth of teachings. You have all that learned from them. Learn from those teachers. Learn from those mistakes. And then ask yourselves, what were the pitfalls? Where did I fail? What were the moments that were not my finest? What were those moments where I'm not proud of? And how, how do I change that in the new year? Again, the new year is just an excuse for us to do this. If you don't do it, then, you know, if you don't do it on the 31st, then when do you do it again? Next 31st, right? No, no, only do it on 31st. That's the auspicious time. Don't do it any other time. Hmm? Setting goals, dreams, ambitions, only on the 31st, don't do it again. So if you miss the train on the 31st, you have to wait another whole, a whole another year until it comes round, right? This is the nonsense that people do. If they, you know, you are a chitta, if you want to change, when's the time? Now's the time. Because every chitta is a new tide. It's a new tide. A new tide. Ride the waves. Take it. Take the bull by its horns. <laughs> and ride it. Giddy up, giddy up. And enjoy it as you do. Enjoy it. You know, make this make this your life. Make this your lifestyle. Enjoy it. Enjoy Nibbana. Enjoy the practice of Nibbana. Don't feel that you are, you are being trapped into something or you are being punished, you know, for your sins. It's not like that, ladies and gentlemen. Enjoy this. Enjoy this practice of Nibbana. Because if you do it that way, if you really enjoy as you do it, it doesn't become laborious. It doesn't become cumbersome. It doesn't feel like, you know, a thorn in your foot. It doesn't feel like that. You really enjoy it. This becomes part and parcel of your life. Enjoy service to mankind. Enjoy kindness. Enjoy charity. Enjoy generosity. Enjoy that. The rewards will be instant, I tell you. They are instant. Because as you are generous, who are you most generous to? Yes, of course. You are most generous to yourself in that moment. As you are kind, who are you most kind to? Who enjoys the maximum power of that kindness? The source, right? What is the hottest place in our solar system? The sun. Because before it gives out light and heat, to the rest of the planets. It is the source. So therefore the hottest place in our solar system is going to be our sun. And that is going to be the brightest place. The source is always what enjoys the most 
of whatever it produces and gives out to the rest of the world. So who was the coolest man who ever lived? Who was the most peaceful? Who was the jolliest fellow that you know? Oh, he is a jolly good fellow. <laughs> oh boy, he was a jolly good fellow. Kindness, he enjoyed it. Compassion, enjoyed it to the max. Peacefulness, tranquility, serenity, enjoyed it to the max. So therefore, when he spoke, you could feel it in the air. You could feel the vibe of that compassion. As those words would resonate through your ears, you could feel the compassion vibrate within your bodies. That happened. That's what happened to Nalagiri. A beast on four legs. Drunk. But that compassion brought that animal, that beast onto its knees. That's what happened to Angulimala. I mean, how much did the Buddha say? Very little, right? Angulimala, I've stopped. Why don't you? He could feel it in the air. It was almost palpable. He could taste it in the air, that compassion, that kindness, that generosity. It was that, that bliss, that serenity was just vibrating everywhere. So I urge you all, you know, embody kindness and enjoy it. Enjoy being kind. Enjoy being good. Enjoy, enjoy being compassionate. Enjoy helping someone. Make that your life. What else do we have to do? Enjoy, experience the goodness that comes from within your heart and enjoy it as you give it out to others. In fact, because you're only giving part of what you enjoy to others after all. So if being good, if you being good feels so good to somebody else, how good must it feel for you? Hmm? How good must it feel for you? That's what I invite you all to, you know, share that, share that limitlessly boundlessly, infinitely, let it spread far and wide. Let it envelop every human being out there. May they all experience the joy of Nibbana. And let it come from you, from you, madam, from you, sir, sir, you, from each and every one of you. As our Swami Nuhansi speak to you, don't you experience the joy and the bliss that they must, they must have within themselves? As Anagarika Mahathas bring their hands together and say Teruvan Sarnai with a smile on their face, don't you feel the genuineness in that smile? Hmm? As Anagarika Mahathas talk to you and talk to you about whatever problems you might have and find solutions to you, work with you together, don't you experience the bliss and the joy that they must have? I ask all of you to experience that because this is yours for the taking. It's there, it's there for you. You deserve every bit of all the bliss that there is available in this world. You deserve it. If you have become a Buddha Sravaka, if you have become a Buddha Sravika, if you have become a son and a daughter of the Buddha, then enjoy the inheritance that the Buddha has afforded to you. 
if you have truly and genuinely become a child of His, then sip on the milk of that compassion. Enjoy it. Experience it. It's yummy. <laughs> I'm not just telling you something I've read in a book. This is beautiful. This is wonderful. I know who I was. And I know who I am today. Then I know who I can be. Oh, when will that day come? <laughs> I count those days on my hand. When will that day come? But if this far I have been able to come, then surely there has to be an end to this journey. That, no doubt, there has to be an end. Because if the journey feels so good, then the destination must be delicious. And you're all on that journey, I know that. Otherwise, nothing would bring you here every week, time and time and time again. It's not the roti, I know. So, you know, whatever you do in life, ladies and gentlemen, if you believe in it, if you truly believe in it, if you think it's worthwhile doing, doing it to the fullest of your ability. <coughs> Don't just read suffering or attachment half of what you can. Do it to the best of your ability. So always ask yourself, am I doing the most I can? If I can do 10 minutes, am I only doing 5? Am I only doing 8? What about the other 2? Ask yourselves. Ask yourselves and do it. Always keep yourselves accountable. Because when everyone else has turned, your, turned their back on you, you'll still be there. So always keep yourselves accountable. If you're here, you will have someone, an accountability partner, that is your teacher. They'll always ask you, are you done? Are you doing? Will you be doing? In all three times. They'll always keep asking you. If you're here, then you have that opportunity. So that's why I keep asking you, what are you still doing behind the camera? What are you waiting for? For the stars to align? They will align when you come here. If you're going to wait until they align to come, they will never align. All you'll see is Aquarius and Sagittarius. <laughs> you will see the Buddha once you have come here. That's why I say, don't come here to see me. Come here to see what I have seen. And then you'll stay for the same reasons that I'm here. You, don't need, you needn't come here to stay. Just come here to see what I have seen. If it's worthwhile, you'll stay. Happy New Year, everyone. Let's take a moment and transfer the merits and bring today's sermon to a close. Let us all take a moment then to transfer all the merits that we have acquired throughout the year by making offerings to the infinite virtues of the Noble Triple Gem, chanting Pirith, engaging in various meritorious deeds, listening to the Dhamma, inviting the Swami Nuhanses to deliver the Dhamma and encouraging and creating a conducive environment for others to come and practice the path in whatever way you have contributed towards all that. Let us take a moment to rejoice in all those merits and transfer it all to all sentient beings in the hope that it will help them to attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. So first and foremost then, let us remind ourselves how incredibly fortunate we are to be in receipt of the Lord Buddha's teaching and with immense gratitude 
that has transferred these merits to the bhikkhus and bhikkhunis, upasakas and upasikas, who since time immemorial have protected and preserved the sublime teachings of the Buddha and passed it down through the generations of the noble lineage in the form of the Tripitaka, which is thankfully available to us today to study, understand and comprehend the Dhamma. That has also transferred the merits we have acquired to all members of the Mahasangha present throughout the world, including the chief prelates of all of the chapters who dedicated their lives to the noble path and have committed themselves towards the betterment of all sentient beings. That has also transferred these merits to the monks and nuns resident in your local temples and nunneries who have always been by your side through thick and thin, come rain or shine. That has also transferred these merits to my teacher, Guru Swami Nuhanse, as well as all the monks resident at the monastery and the Anagarika and Anagarika communities attached to the monastery. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who make great efforts to disseminate the teachings of the Buddha, be that by transliterating these talks, sharing them out with others, or inviting others to join them. Let us also transfer these merits to, our, to the friends of the monastery, our devotees, who for the sake of merits to help them attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana, continue to sustain the Mahasangha. This includes everyone from those of you who provide the Mahasangha, who provide for the construction of the monastery, as well as those who provide the Mahasangha with shelter, arms, robes, and medicines as well as those who pass on their know-how and continue to, <coughs> and continue to extend their well-wishes. May they all rejoice in these merits, and by the power of these merits, may they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer this message to our mothers and fathers, brothers and sisters, sons and daughters, grandparents, uncles, aunts, cousins, and nephews and nieces, our friends, our acquaintances, our employers, our employees, and to our teachers, as well as those who have supported us, assisted us, and helped us in every single way, form, and shape available and possible to them throughout the past year. May they all rejoice in these merits and by the power of these merits. May they be healed of any physical and mental ailments and overcome any obstacles to their spiritual progress. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to the devas and brahmas, spirits and demons, primarily the Sakadeva, as well as all the numerous gods and deities who have committed themselves to protect and preserve the Sambu the Sasana, that has also transferred these merits to our guardian deities who keep a watchful eye over us and keep us out of harm's way. May by the power of these merits they prosper in divine power and wisdom, and may they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. Let us also take a moment to transfer these merits to those who have passed away in our name, our loved ones, our forefathers, our ancestors, May they all rejoice in these merits, reminding ourselves that it is in their blood, sweat and tears today we are able to enjoy the comforts and the luxury that, we are, that is available to us to practice and progress on the path of Dhamma towards Nibbana. May they all rejoice in these merits. Let us also transfer these merits to the members of the armed forces as well as the police force who sacrifice their lives to protect the peace and harmony of our nation. Let us also transfer these merits to those who have lost their lives in the war, be their friend or foe, let us transfer this message to those who have lost their lives in natural disasters, such as the tsunamis and earthquakes, landslides, blizzards, fires and pandemics and so on, reminding ourselves that in this infinitely long journey of sansara, they will all have been mothers and fathers to us, friends and acquaintances to us, those who have helped us, supported us and assisted us in every way, shape or form. And with an abundance of compassion and loving kindness towards all of them, let us take a moment to transfer all the merits that we have acquired throughout the year. May they all rejoice in these merits, and if any of them have been born in the woeful plains, 
May they redeem themselves and be born in the blissful plane. May they abstain from the unmeritorious deeds, fulfill the meritorious deeds, fulfill the noble eightfold path, and may they all attain the supreme bliss of Nibbana. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And finally, may by the power and blessings of all the myths we have acquired throughout the day, we be able to witness the advent of many hundreds of thousands of Arahants on this blessed land. And may you and I, and everyone who's helped make this program a success, become a Rahatan Vahanse, in this very life itself and in the era of the Gautama Supreme Buddha itself. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu. And the blessings of the noble triple gem be with you all. And members of the Mahasangha will transfer their blessings to you. Sadhu, sadhu, sadhu.